certainly in a time of crisis, you don't know some of the gifts and strengths you have until that crisis occurs. And I will say that um, I've been um, so surprised um, and fulfilled by the many gifts and strengths that our staff has bestowed during this time. Um, technology wizards, uh, understanding how all that functions. Um, there's been so many um, adaptive leadership approaches that our staff has taken this time. I'm so proud of y'all for that. Um, and we continue to adapt as we look ahead to this phase implementation um, that we started to roll out this week. Um, for better understanding of that, we encourage you to go to the church website. You can take a look at this full phase guideline, understanding why we're doing some of the things that we're doing. Um, it's important to understand those things and important to be aware as we uh, look to a time that we can come back together as a faith community. Um, all these are in hypothetical right now uh, because we don't know. Um, and we want to have the grace and flexibility and patience necessary to be able to step forward into these, um, these new normals that we find ourselves in. Um, but as we do that, we also uh, want to have a little bit of joy in these things. And so as we ask each person to come back on campus um, wearing a face mask, um, we're going to give a little incentive behind that. And so for the first couple Sundays, we're back during phase two. Uh, whenever that happens, uh, we're going to be doing a, a face mask contest on Sunday mornings. A couple people will get some gift cards to local restaurants. Um, you know, bringing some sort of creative or funny uh, face mask that they can on Sunday morning. Um, so we continue to roll through this together. Again, go to the church website. You can find all that information on these phase guidelines. Um, we're not going to meet during phase one in person, but the hope is that we can meet in phase two with all sorts of modifications uh, that we put in place here. I want to invite you to join me into a responsive time of prayer together. Our response this morning is, Lord, hear our prayer. Uh, if you haven't done this with us before, or it's been a while for you, um, I'll be offering up some prayers, and we will join together multiple times throughout the prayer in saying, Lord, hear our prayer. So let's pray together. O oh God of creation, uh, become for us again the solid foundation upon which we build our daily lives. Be our strength and our refuge an ever-present help in time of trouble. And so we pray, Lord, hear our prayer. We gather before you this morning for worship. While we are physically distant, we are spiritually and emotionally together as we align our lives to the strength of the teaching and the way of Jesus, our cornerstone. And so we pray, Lord, hear our prayer. Receive our prayers and our thanksgiving as an expression of faith and love. We come to you, O Lord, as a people who desire to learn and to serve like Christ. And so we pray, Lord, hear our prayer. We are ready to receive your blessings and your direction today. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And so we pray, Lord, hear our prayer. Strengthen our community of faith, in order that we may become more effective in the ministry and service and witness to this community, all in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Let's watch this video together.
people who do the right thing. They call it being responsible. When it's an insurance company, they call it Liberty Mutual. Responsibility. What's your policy? Liberty Mutual. All right, I promise Liberty Mutual did not sponsor our live stream this morning. But you remember this commercial from uh, actually 10 years ago. I love the storytelling. It's the symmetry that our actions affect the lives of others. That a simple act of generosity can profoundly impact the life of someone else who then impacts the life of someone else. I love that generosity can become contagious. And this is exactly where we're going to wrap up our conversation in this Moneyball series, The Way of Generosity. For the last five weeks, we've been engaging a conversation around our busyness and excess-filled lives as Americans, asking the question, is there a better way than congestion of work and busyness and excess of stuff and wallet and content? And we've seen that Jesus is inviting us into something that's countercultural, into a new way of thinking and living. You see, wanting to end this endless cycle of more and it's never enough, Jesus is inviting us to become content in any and all circumstances that we face. And as we learn to become content, then God begins to open our eyes to see the opportunities to give to the people around us by generously sharing of our lives with others. And for this, we turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, verse 10. Now, the context of our passage is quite fascinating. Jesus is in the synagogue teaching on the Sabbath. Those are two terms that are important to understand to capture the gravity of the story we're about to read. Jesus is in the synagogue. Think of it as a local church. For each town, there would have been some sort of synagogue where people would have gathered to learn and to worship. It's the Sabbath day, which is the holy day of rest. The Jews took this day very seriously. In fact, by the time that Jesus arrives on the scene in first century Palestine, they had created over 39 different categories on just the Sabbath alone. 39 categories of laws and rules just about the Sabbath alone. So verse 10 says, On the Sabbath day, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. And when Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmities. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leaders said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath day. Jesus is healing on the Sabbath day. This is the equivalent of somebody walking into Tiger Stadium in the middle of a game in November and spray-painting the Alabama A in the middle of the field. You could just sense the anger and zeal by which these religious leaders were appalled by what Jesus had done on this most sacred day. I mean, there are six other days of the week that she could have come and asked for this to be done to her. Couldn't she have just waited to create an appointment on the next day? I mean, she has already been suffering for 18 years. What is one more day going to hurt? Doesn't God deserve the complete focus on this holy day? Oh, the barriers that humans create to resist generosity. On this day, it was religious tradition to mandate that no work 
and all worship. It was religious obligations that bound these men to enforce the law upon this woman and this heretical healer, just as they had done for hundreds of other times of people before who were breaking the Sabbath. That's why they had to create 39 different categories on laws for the Sabbath alone. You can take out religion, and you can swap in any number of things. Whether it be economic disparity, or racism, or ageism, or sexism, or political allegiance, or societal tradition, or xenophobia, humans have a tendency to create barriers to resist generosity. And most of the time, it comes with not as overt as we see in this passage, but it typically rears its head in social norms, or well-reasoned excuses, and the great uncertainty of fear and the unknown. So like the religious leaders in our story, it's all too easy for people to put up a proverbial wall that shuts out who needs to be transformed by the power of generosity. And yet, we forget that Jesus is in the story, and it says in verse 15, the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or your donkey from a stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what has bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. In the climax of the story, Jesus showed us the power of generosity over indifference and un unkindness. Generosity liberates those bound. This woman had been suffering for 18 years, bound by the shackles of physical disability, social marginalization, and religious exclusivity, and yet Jesus liberates her from all of these things. And while these religious leaders could not see past the blindfold of their religious obligation, Jesus takes this woman and the religious leaders to the very presence of God. Here, the power of God's love and grace and hope transforms this woman's life. And I like to think that it transformed the lives of the religious leaders too. Though Luke indicates that they were humiliated, it's quite remarkable how our bad choices can transform us into something positive. And these religious leaders were bound by the shackles of religious conviction. This is what they had been taught. This is what they had believed to be right and true. And yet Jesus unbinds them from the shackles of religious indignation and invites them into the radical inclusiveness of God's love. And the impact of Jesus' act of generosity changed lives forever. Generosity liberates those bound. And as people living in 2020, it's, it's all too easy to see this passage in the life of Jesus as, as something in this far-off, distant thing from us. You see, time and distance have a capacity to create a sense of detachment and irre irrelevance. And it's all too easy for us to see the life and work and death of Jesus as something that took place in some other time for people long ago. The great American novelist James Baldwin wrote this, History, as nearly no one seems to know, is not merely something to be read. It does not refer merely or even principally to the past. On the contrary, the great force of history comes from the fact that we carry it within us, are 
unconsciously controlled by it in many ways, and history is literally present in all that we do. My prayer this morning is that above all things that you see in this text is that you can see and believe that Jesus' profound act of generosity can, in fact, liberate lives today, namely your life. In the same way that Jesus encountered the human needs, whether that be relational or emotional or physical or spiritual, Jesus generously gives of himself today to humans who need their lives transformed. In the same way that Jesus encountered the human corruption, whether that be corruption of politics and religion or society, Jesus generously gives of himself today to stand against the corruption to bring about transformation. Jesus' generosity risked his life for the sake of God's kingdom uh, of justice and righteousness on earth as it is in heaven. He risked his life for God's redeeming work in this world and obedience to God's call in his life. And consequently, this bold act of generosity ended up with death on a cross. In the same way that Jesus taught and showed people a new way of thinking and living, a new life of selflessness and, and fulfillment and hope and freedom and joy and mercy and patience and goodness, Jesus is generously extending to us today. Can you receive Jesus' generosity? Are you willing to allow him to transform you? Now, we've got another video to play. Can anyone tell me what, what physics are being played out here? In 1686, Sir Isaac Newton gave us the third law. It states that when two bodies interact, they apply forces to one another that are equal in magnitude or opposite in direction. The third law is also known as the law of action and reaction. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. The statement means that in every interaction, there is a pair of forces acting on the two interacting objects, as you can see here in this simple illustration. Jesus' generosity demands a reaction. It, it's very clear why the religious and political leaders responded to Jesus. This is what history does to those who threaten our way of living, our power, our wallets, our control. We put them on a cross to display and for them to die. But I want us to understand that, that we have to have a reaction to Jesus' generosity. Over the last several weeks, we've seen how Jesus' revolutionary invites us into rethinking our stuff and our money, the way that we approach work, our busyness, the treasures we hold so dear in our life. And like the religious and social and political leaders he encountered in Jerusalem, coming face to face with someone or something that threatens our systematic and ideological way of life, we either respond with an equal or an opposite reaction. In the chapters leading up to our text, we see the equally opposite reaction of Jesus' invitation to the rich young ruler. We see the opposite reaction come through Zacchaeus. One went away distraught that he would have to give all the way he had to follow Jesus, while one so freely gives away so that he can follow Jesus into life. Jesus is inviting us to take the gifts and resources God has given us and to reconsider what we use them for. Jesus is inviting us to become a people of generosity as his generosity transformed the world. But how will we respond to him? Isn't it equal 
an opposite reaction. And just in case we still don't understand the third law of motion, I have another example for us to watch here. All right, while chaos is ensuing on screen, I have to reassure you that everyone survived this incident actually without a scratch on their bodies. <laughs> the appropriate reaction to Jesus' generosity is to live in the way of Jesus' generosity, to live in the way that reflects Jesus' way. Generosity doesn't come with a how-to manual. It comes with a set of values shaped by the life and way of Jesus. And following Jesus reshapes our way of looking at the world, of what we have and what we need. Following Jesus causes us to consider how we might discover how God is taking and giving us what we have been blessed with, our gifts and our strengths and our experience and our personalities and our resources and our status and repurposing them for God's desire. And as we follow Jesus, we begin to see that who we are and what we have is an indelible mark on those we encounter. The mark can either be bringing a transformation of goodness or detrimentally dishonoring people in their lives. This is something that we cannot learn on our own. We must follow in the way of Jesus' footsteps and teaching in order to learn that. There's a story from the Gospels that comes to mind in which Jesus encounters Peter for the first time after his arrest and Peter's denial and Jesus' death. And if you recall the story in the hours leading up to Jesus' arrest, Jesus asked Peter three times if he loves him. And each time that Jesus asked, Peter becomes more and more indignant. I mean, hadn't he left everything to follow Jesus? Why would Jesus ask such a thing? And yet when Jesus is arrested to save his own skin, Peter denied he knew Jesus. And this didn't happen just once, just twice, but three times and the rooster crows and Peter is reminded of Jesus' words. Then we find ourselves in the resurrection narrative. With Jesus standing before Peter, the man who claimed he would follow Jesus even unto death. There before Jesus is a man who committed just as a despicable act as Judas Iscariot. And how would Jesus respond? We find that Jesus' response was an equal and opposite reaction of Peter's betrayal. For Jesus embraces Peter abundantly with grace and love. And this very thing that Peter did not deserve, that Peter did nothing to earn. See, generosity is not always about taking out our wallets and giving towards something. More often, it's about seeing and taking action in the way of Jesus. Jesus saw people on a deeper level than mere just surface observation. Jesus saw people's hurts and needs and struggles and heartbreak and depression and isolation and hopelessness and plight. And Jesus saw the system and people that caused this hurt and pain and heartache and injustice and disadvantage. And I think one of the primary resources that God wants us to rethink what we value one of the reasons that God wants us to rethink what we own and how we use our money and our time is that we have an opportunity to do something deeper if we can begin to stop focusing on all of these things in our lives and the pursuit of them. 
we become more aware of the people around us. We see their needs. We see their struggles. And we begin to consider if we can take action. There are people in many shapes and forms every single day coming and going from work to the grocery store to the gym to eating out in our offices, in our neighborhoods. And it's not always obvious and easily spotted, but there's something within each person's mind, heart, and soul where they are craving a need for change and transformation. But it's all too easy for us to, to leave work and our busyness and our hobbies and our dreams and our vacations and our relationships and our fears and our uncertainties and so much more and allow us to blind us from seeing what God sees in others. And that opportunity that God gives us to bring love and hope and mercy and kindness and humility so generously. And Jesus invites us to change our way of thinking and living so that we might see people. So that we might see the needs of the poor, the marginalized, the sick, the hurting, the vulnerable, the abused, just as he took action on these things. Jesus is inviting us to live in the way of generosity by taking action of the needs and injustices we see in this world, in our communities, and in our neighborhoods. This week makes officially two months since the coronavirus virus became a reality for the United States, and over 1.5 million people have been infected by the virus. Nearly 90,000 people have lost their lives to it, and over two, or 26 million people have lost their jobs. And this crisis has been one of the most challenging conflicts we have ever faced. And, and we stare at these facts, the facts of sickness and death and job loss, they can become overwhelming, maybe even crippling. And where do we begin to even try to make a difference in the world, to make a difference in our community? The great Mother Teresa put it this way, if you cannot feed a hundred people, then feed just one. And so what has surprised me again and again through this crisis is the level of compassion that people have shown. From people sewing masks at home for first responders to groups donating meals to medical workers, from organizations serving meals to families in needs to grocery stores organizing specific hours to those who are most susceptible to the virus, people have displayed an unbelievable level of ingenuity for love. The last two months have shown the devastating capacity of nature's force, while human nature has proven again and again that kindness and humility and service and love are quite remarkable. In reality, the level of generosity shown by our communities is how the church is designed to be. There's a story from You've heard me tell you before from the book of Acts. It goes like this. In the months and years after Jesus' resurrection, the community, his, his followers, began to share life together. They ate meals in one another's homes. The apostles taught about the way of Jesus. Miracles began to happen, and lives were being changed. They were all one. They were all unified in how Jesus had called them to live their lives. This is no more evident by the way that they inexplicably were willing to sell their property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. And as they did these things, thousands came to know and to follow Jesus. 
thousands of lives were changed forever. As one author put it, generosity is paradoxical. Those who give receive back in return. By spending ourselves for others' well-being, we enhance our own well-being. You see, this is the call of Jesus. He calls us to live in the way of generosity together as the church. What would it look like for us to bring the overwhelming amount of time and energy and passion and drive in and through the church to transform our community? I don't have to say that this because my livelihood depends on giving to the church. I don't say this because I've dedicated the last 20 years of my life towards ministry. I do not say this as, as a pastor who tries to make people feel guilty in order to change their lives. I say this as a person who has been the beneficiary of other people bringing their best selves to the church and being a recipient of that gift. You and I are, are we're, we're given the invitation to not just be participants in a ritualistic worship experience on Sunday morning, an hour and a half to two and a half hour dedication on one day of the week. I guess if you count the time it takes to get ready, then there's an extra throw, hour thrown in there. For middle school boys, it's more like get out of bed, throw Axe body spray on it. So maybe two extra minutes for middle school boys. You see, when you bring your best selves to the church, you're, you're, you're believing that what we do here matters. It matters that we are learning to be more like Jesus, to take the time to study the scriptures, to take the time to be formed together in faith. It matters that we come together for worship each week to see that life is not always about us, but it's about this being that is greater than us, yet pours back into us a life of generosity and hope and love and transformation. We see collectively as we pull together our generosity as the church that we can make a difference in this world, whether it be through Highland Elementary School or Interfaith Federation or CBF Together for Hope or Open Air Ministry or discovering new partnerships and ways we can practically serve our community. It matters that we are trying to pull together our resources to better our lives and the lives of this community. Generosity is a paradox. Those who give receive back in return by spending ourselves for others' well-being, we enhance our own well-being. A few weeks back, we got a call from a teacher at Highland Elementary School who shared that there was 10 to 15 families who were in need, specifically families with English as a second language. And when we asked what they needed the most, the teacher responded, food. And our benevolence committee acted quickly, approving $800 to be spent to provide these 10 to 15 families with groceries. Books were donated to provide children access uh, to some form of education at home. And then we invited the greater congregation to help, and hundreds of dollars began to pour in to help with this project. And as a result of your generosity, 15 families were given food for this first round, and we look ahead as we continue to see that people are facing crisis around us, and we're going to have to provide for more families in need. The response from the school was simple and to the point. Words cannot adequately express our gratitude for helping these ESL families in need during this difficult time. University Baptist Church is Highland Elementary's guardian angel. Sickness, job loss, death, depression, crisis of identity and despair. In the weeks and months ahead of this coronavirus, 
are going to bind our lives in this community to a sense of hopelessness and despair. Yet we have the profound opportunity to let the generosity of Jesus liberate our lives and the lives of others. We look to this early church who, who sold land and home to give to those without question or second thought so that lives could be transformed. We look at the religious boundaries to transform the life of this woman and suffering and religious leaders that were bound by self-righteousness. Jesus' generosity transformed them through love. Imagine what your generosity could do. Imagine how God could work through you to transform others' lives. Think oftentimes that we, we, we limit what God can do through us. But I think intelligent people test their limitations. They go to greater heights in their journey with God. And Paul boldly states in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, but since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and love, we have kindled in you. See that you also excel in the grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it to the earnestness of others. Imagine the impact it would make in someone's life if you anonymously paid for their rent, those that are facing hard time, and then added in the electric and water bill to you. Imagine how it might transform somebody's life if you purchased the coffee or the food in the person's takeout line that's behind you. Imagine how generosity working through you could change the lives of your neighbors and your co-workers as you reflect Jesus' love. Now imagine the collective pulling of our generosity together as a faith community. How can God transform our lives and in this world? We've been deconstructing our desire for more. The busyness of our lives, the relationships we have at work, the discovery of a life of contentment leading into a new way of thinking and living through Jesus. And for what we find in Jesus is a radical way of contentment and generosity that transforms lives and transforms the world. Jesus' generosity demands an equal and opposite reaction. Which one will you choose? Let's pray together. as we consider the opportunity to either respond to Christ by closing our hands and limiting what we can give. May we choose to open our hands in faith, understanding that you are abundantly blessing us. May you remove us out of a mindset of scarcity, so worried about pouring ourselves out by sharing of our best selves with the world, with the church, with our communities. May you help us to see that as we pour out of our lives, you are filling us back up abundantly. Give us faith to see, give us eyes to see and to hear what you are calling us to. We ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.